With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to another episode of The Neutral Corner with me, your host, Jean-Luc Welch on this ESPN podcast, where we talk about anything and everything in the world of combat sports. That's right, and we have a very action-packed episode for you today, covering all the breaking news in the world of boxing, as we have so many stories unfolding over this past weekend with fights, and of this week with the entire boxing community, with Tim Tizu defending his title at Super Bowl to win against Brian Mendoza in a very impressive unanimous decision, as well as Janabek Ali Mahanala knocking out getting a TKO victory over Vincenzo Gutierrez to become a unified middleweight champion. Now, potentially, is this man the best middleweight in the world today? And how far can his talent take him if he does decide to move up in weight classes? Oh, we're going to answer that before we answer any of those questions. The biggest thing that we need to talk about is the biggest story that has affected the entirety of the boxing world and has shooken up the very foundation of how we observe this sport as we know it for the foreseeable future because now Showtime Boxing is done. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the conglomerate, the type, the, 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 the mega corporation of Showtime Sports is no more when it comes to the world of boxing because they have pulled out of the, the in, entirely this year, at the end of this year, in December, there will not be advertising nor broadcasting any more boxing, anything, shows, fights, documentaries, none of that. They are pulling out of the boxing game entirely. How in the world did this happen? What, is, what are the uh, factors that caused this to be? What does this mean for the foreseeable future of broadcasting in the world of boxing as we know it? All that's going to be talked about right here on this show today. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And again, thank you to Jalen Faust for providing the music, providing the hype and energy that we always get for this show. And without further ado, let's jump right into what this show is all about, which is breaking down the world of combat sports. And now let's delve into the biggest story of the day. Like we said before, Showtime Boxing is no more. Showtime Boxing is officially run its course and they are done covering the sport of boxing as we know 37 years of pure bliss having showtime being one of the pillars of the boxing community and of the sports community as a whole and again coupled with hbo who used to be the definitive giant in the boxing world. They shut down and now following in their footsteps, Showtime as well is now ending their run in the boxing landscape. How in the world did this come to be? Well, this is all because of the sport in and of itself. Mind you, Showtime's last fight is going to be David Benavidez versus Boo Boo Andre. So they're going to go out and release some sort of a flicker to some capacity. But after everything that we saw with Showtime this year, with Tank Richie Ryan Garcia, with Crawford versus Spence finally happening on their network, this seemed like, okay, yeah, they're riding high. 
And now look what happened. The, the bottom is now pulled out from under him. Rumors were flying around left, right, and center. All we all last week, after for the last couple weeks, that potentially we may see Showtime leaving the sport. I always thought it was hearsay. And I said, no, this, there's no way. Especially after the year that they just had. However, now we are where we are. This is the fact of the matter. This is the fact of life. They're done after this year. And it's because of the sport. Boxing killed Showtime. Just like boxing killed HBO. The sport itself has killed off some of its most loyal followers and most loyal patrons. Because of all the shadiness that goes on. This is a situation where promoters, commissions, and, and, and just all around sleazy behind the door shenanigans. Keep on killing this sport. And it leads to what we see now in another giant broadcaster saying it's not worth our time. Of course, we know, of course, if you don't know, Paramount is the, I believe, owns Showtime. And they said, essentially, paraphrasing, well, this endeavor isn't worth anything. Hence, we're not making enough money out of it. So we got to allocate assets where necessary. And this isn't one of the assets that we need to allocate. So we're done. We're gone. Vamanos. We're out of here. And it's because of the fact that boxing never put on consistent level or consistent levels of high product quality to keep their fans invested. This year has been one of the best years in boxing that we've seen in an incredibly long time across the board. Upsets, major fights, legitimate names against legitimate names. Tank Again, Tank versus Ryan, Spence versus Crawford, Usyk versus Dubois, even though, again, we wouldn't see Usyk versus Fury, it was still some uh, uh, at least a name against a top champion. Never, never Rete versus Oscar Valdez. I can go on and on and on throughout the entire boxing landscape, not just in Showtime. We've seen great fights throughout the entire of the year. Inouye versus Fulton. I can keep going on and on and on. This has been a phenomenal year of boxing, but it's an outlier. That's the whole problem. It's an outlier. Outside of this year, consistently it's been a constant cycle and a constant circle of trash. Fighters don't fight nearly as much, especially the big-name fighters don't fight nearly as much, maybe once or twice a year. And every other fight that we even would be remotely invested in never gets put into play, and it's always done with uh, with a quote-unquote big name or somebody that's known going up against some schmuck, some Joe Schmo, some bum. And again, respect anybody that steps into the ring. I'm not calling you a bum in terms of you don't have a fighting spirit. I'm talking about a bum in terms of from from an objective talent perspective. Relative to who the quote-unquote premier fighter in the ring that's fighting, relative to his competition, the buddy that he's going up against is is utter trash. By comparison, they're not. They're, nothing feels weighty. Nothing feels warranted. Nothing feels like it has a real effect on the boxing landscape. Nothing does. It's really tough to tell who, in fact, is really legitimately good versus who's legitimately bloated because of the fact that it, nothing feels weighty. Everybody fights nobodies up until they got to fight somebody. And then more often not, when the nobody, when, when the somebody that's actually about it fights with somebody that's just been bloated, what are they? Nothing. It's nothing. And then they just kill them off in terms of hyping them up anymore. They don't try to build them up, don't try to recreate their career. They're just done. Done away with, thrown away with. It's a model that's been done for years and years and years in this sport. Unlike with the UFC, when you have a situation where you have Dana White putting off cards every single time, regardless of whether it's a big card like UFC 294, like we covered last week, with which again is happening this week, and got better with its replacements. Islam versus Volkanovski two, Usman versus Kamzat Shemaev, all taking the fight on ten days' notice. Oh, this is phenomenal. But outside of those mega, mega events, this still across the board, you watch a UFC fight, oh, it's good action. 
It's legitimately compelling. It's really competitive. And every fight has a real effect on the entire division. If not the entire sport as a whole. Shakeups and rankings. Moving up and down in terms of who should be in line for a title. Ripping a title opportunity from somebody else's grasp. Every fight feels real. Every fight feels weighty. Every fight feels like it's worth something. Every fight feels competitive. Every fight feels like it's there is something at stake. Everything has significance. Because every fighter is put in the ring against competent competition. Hence, everybody who watches the UFC wants to see everybody fight. So they constantly sell out arenas. They constantly get good numbers on a consistent basis when it comes to pay-per-view guys. Yes, we know that boxing at its best can't be beat in terms of premier events. We understand it. Phenomenal. We get it. That's why they get paid millions and millions and millions of dollars in terms of boxers on the high, high end. But with that being said, outside of those events, everything else is utter trash. Again, quote-unquote great fighters fighting schmucks in non-competitive affairs that nobody cares about because it's not challenging them. It's not testing them. It's not putting or proving anything for the A-side boxer, quote-unquote, because there's not any competition that's really in front of them. Outside of, okay, now you got a 30-0 record. Okay, now let's put you against somebody that, hey, we can make, we can make one big payday. And boom, you get whitewashed, and then, well, I made money. It's horrible. It's terrible. But it is what it is. And it's the problem with the sport. That's what, for all the history that HBO had, done away with in an instant. Jim Lampley still can't find a job today. Now as a college professor. Because HBO was gone. And it's not his fault. It's the sports fault that failed the sports media industry. The sport itself failed the industry. Because the sport itself isn't putting on fights worth watching. We won't pay for fights we don't care about. And if it takes five, six years to get legitimate fights to happen, you're going to get situations like this. Where now HBO's gone. Showtime's gone. The zone is there. Cool. Who knows what may happen still with the zone if this same trend keeps going on? There should be no reason, none whatsoever, that of a UFC industry. Again, respect to the UFC. I'm not saying this to condemn them. I'm saying this to put this into perspective. Boxing has a hundred years of experience. Boxing has so much cachet. In history behind them. They should be too big to fail. And once it got to a point. Where you could mass broadcast fights. It should have been a done deal formula. Simple. Effective. And it used to be. Everybody you could see everything. And it was great. You could have Ali. Fighting against Quarry. Who was another phenomenal heavyweight of the time. Before you watch the Syracuse versus Michigan NCAA football game. Back in the day. That's how it used to be. Great fights. Great fighters fought great fighters. Stuff got put together. Yes, we know corruption was still around. I'm not denying that. But I'm saying in terms of the product that was put in front of people was good. Legitimately good. That's why it was at one point in time the sport of boxing was the Third biggest sport in the world. Baseball, football, and boxing ran Americans pastime. Ran it. Ran it. It was it. Some of the biggest stars in America were boxers. Not just Ali. Everybody felt meaningful. In every weight class. 
most of them, if not all of them, fought legitimately. Ali is champ fought who? Norton, Foreman, Fraser, Quarry, Lyle. And guess who the guess who Frazier and Foreman fought? Most, if not all of those names, if not more. Consistently, everybody felt that they had something to offer, and every legitimate talented person fought every other legitimate talented person. That's how matchmaking was. Again, there's plenty of other people that know it even better than me. And do your research for yourself as to how stuff used to be put together in terms of matchups that you would see. But the, as a whole, the product was great. And Americans loved to watch it. Globally, people loved to watch it. Then when you got HBO and Showtime coming around, it should have been okay. It's a done deal. All we got to do is keep the same formula. We will make millions on millions. Easy work. Easy work. In the words of, in the words of LaShawn McCoy. Crazy work. It should have been crazy work that they were doing. And again, too big to fail. But then what happened? Sport got worse and worse. Politics got in the way more and more. Matchmaking got, became non-existent. Utterly deplorable. And what do we see? HBO go down. And now Showtime follows in their footsteps. The UFC consistently put on great fights. And in their short tenure, they've been able to make, to make a global product. That while, yes, they're not making the bank in terms of mega, mega fights that we see from boxing. We also don't see them shutting down, do we? We only see them growing. We see them becoming one of the fastest growing sports in multiple countries, not just here in the U.S. Popularity through the roof. Through the roof. Fighters known and respected. One of the, one of the greatest moments just happened in the, in the UFC's history. The Korean Zombies retirement. And the Zombie ain't never won a title. But because of him fighting everybody, he became one of the most beloved figures in this sport. Forever going to go down as a warrior to the death that you literally had to kill to stop. This man was and is 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 in and of itself a legitimate icon and one of the darlings of the sport. And he never won a title. But because of how he fought and how he fought everybody, I'm talking about every name, big or small. This man gained a legacy and a reputation and made a moment that is going to be replayed over and over. Every fighter can have that same level of respect to them, that same level of, of appeal, that same level of weight to their career in the UFC because the matchmaking is glorious. Say what you want about Dana White and all the practice of not paying fighters. Hence why Francis Ngannou went to go fight in the PLF. Hence why Nate Diaz went to go fight Jake Paul and made more money in one fight with, with a YouTuber than he ever he made in his entire UFC career while being one of the most beloved and acclaimed and most watched fighters in the history of the UFC. Notorious for bringing a fight to everybody. The, the, uh, the epitome of a warrior. If the, if the Korean zombie established himself as one of the greatest warriors, Nate Diaz, just from a pure fight standpoint, might take the cake. And regardless, so again, regardless of what you want to say about Dana White's inability to pay, for, or rather, unwillingness to pay people more, give insurance and all that other stuff that is terrible and that fighters should have the right to. Absolutely, I'm on the fighter's side on that front. You can't deny that the way he's put together the, 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 the UFC sport as a whole has helped build it in such a fast way that we see it as a mega mogul giant today. That's the truth. That's the truth of the matter. This, the way that they conducted the sport 
helped them build such a fast track to where they are now, on average, more popular than boxing. Though boxing has 100 years of experience behind it. It's not bigger than the sport, but it's more popular. Every, it's more well-known. The fan base is fierier for everybody, not just their own one selected fighter. They love watching everybody fight because everybody feels meaningful. Boxing did a disservice to the fighters and did a disservice to the broadcasting industry all by not putting together fights that need to be shown. And everybody's at fault for it. Everybody's, everybody is at fault for it. Everybody's at fault for it. And if this keeps going, we're going to see this over and over again. More titans going down. More big names not having any cachet. More industry giants falling by the wayside. It's ridiculous. You give fans fights that they want to see, we will pay. We won't pirate. We will spread the word. We will show support. As you've seen with the UFC, boxing can do just the same, but on an even bigger scale. If you stopped trying to build, build, build up fights through fake competition, and by fake, I mean not competitive competition, and put fighters in the ring on a consistent basis, Versus people that actually have some weight to them. Versus real challenges. Versus real champions. Forcing mandatories. Forcing legitimate next guys up to take fights. Or to have the fights given to them. It shouldn't have been that we had Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford take five years to happen. Shouldn't have been. From when it was at, from when it was at the height of its wanting of, of wanting to see it still it was high don't get me wrong but that fight should have happened earlier should have happened earlier what happened politics kept the two apart had to go collect the bets from around the way before being able to get to the pbc it's ridiculous it's stupid the sport is killing itself if we as fans don't make sure that we come together and, and demand Promoters and broadcasters to make it so that we see the fights that actually matter on a consistent basis and stop building up fake great resumes, stop building up fake hype by putting fake great fighters on a pedestal they don't belong in because they ain't proved nothing. We won't pay to see that. And what's going to happen? It's going to shut down again. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. I hate it. You should hate it. And it's a, it's, it, it's, it's, it is a plight of the boxing world that we consistently run into this. That we always run into this. It makes no sense that this is a problem. Because it should be easy as pie to make everything that we want to see happen, happen. It should be. But it's idiotic politics. Idiotic behind-the-scene collusion. Idiotic, essentially, filibustering. Of, of just not willingly holding stuff until oh the, the, the absolute breaking point of okay, now we got it. We have to give it to them because it's too much money to lose. You would make that money tenfold if you put these fights on on a consistent basis. That build up that you're talking about would be made ten times over if you gave all these resumes real competition to fight against to say, okay, he's worthy or they're worthy of being in the ring with each other. Because nobody wants to pay to see trash. That's why Showtime shut down. Weren't putting fights on that were consistently great. HBO shut down, fell to the same trap. And we could see other industry, other 
industry giants shut down as well. If the same thing goes on. It's a stupid plight on the boxing community that the MMA world has figured out. MMA is running boxing as it should, or MMA is running fighting as it should be. If you're five and somebody is ahead of you, guess what? You fight the number four ranked. If you're unranked and you beat the ninth ranked fighter, guess what? Now you're in the top ten. And now you go fight the eighth fighter next, most likely. A continuous step up and challenge. No waiting around. You fight somebody that has a legitimate willingness to go and get you out of there. We, we laud Kamzat Shemaev because he's fought and dealt with real competitors. We were calling Usman the GOAT because for a time when he was fighting at his peak of his powers, again, he's not the GOAT, but we were, we were calling him. This might be one of the greatest of all time because at the peak of his powers, he was dominating great, great, great opponents. Fully. In complete aspects. Nullifying all of their game plan. That's what Usman was doing. This was a situation. You know why we have John Jones as high as we have John Jones? Because his resume, we call him the GOAT not just because of, legitimately I call him the GOAT, not just because of, okay, the titles, but the names that he beat were all great. All great. And he did away with all of them. All of them. Then he moved up to heavyweight and fought the best at heavyweight at that point in time, or at least one of the best at heavyweight at that point in time, in Serial God, and beat him in two minutes. That's greatness. Because he beat somebody, not just for a title, but he beat the brother that was holding the title who had legitimate cachet to his name. The same brother that made life hard for Francis Ngannou and forced him to become a grappler. That serial gone, he beat in two minutes. So no, I. This is not a one-sided problem. Fighters not getting into the ring, fighters holding out for more money. This is not just a promoter's problem. A promoter's not putting legitimate competition for their cash cows, nor put or nor holding out fights that need to happen earlier. Up until five years later, when now, oh, the money is just right. This is everybody's problem that has allowed this to happen. Everybody in this system has, has, has messed it up. Everybody. It's, 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 it's stupid. It's ignorant. The culture of boxing has ruined the sport and it's caused another great to go down in terms of showtime. How this is going to affect the, the ripple effects this could have potentially? Too numerous to count. But it's a sign of the times of what is happening to this sport. The way that you've operated right now has not helped you and will continue to be your downfall as time goes on. 37 years in the business doesn't matter. If you don't keep it up, You'll be gone in an instant. 40 plus years in the business, like with HBO, doesn't matter if you can't consistently provide. Top Frank, same thing. The Zone, PBC, same thing. Don't matter who. All of them are doing the same problem. All of them have the same problem. Is an idiotic one that should be fixed. Hopefully, we see a change in the future. But when we come back, we're going to talk about Tim Tazu beating Brian Mendoza. My opinion on the whole performance, as well as will we see him fight Charlo? And if so, what will that outcome be? Get back into your corners up until the next half 
of the show. Coming back after this break. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome back to the Neutral Corner with me, your host, Jean-Luc Watch on this ESPN podcast, where we talk about anything and everything in the world of combat sports. That's right. And like we said before the break, we have to cover Tim Tazu beating Brian Mendoza via unanimous decision in his first title defense since getting a title from Jermail Charlo, who was stripped once he stepped into the ring with Canelo Alvarez, and in his first title defense, Tim Tzu performed very well, but also had some problems with him, and that bring up some concerns with him when he fights, if he fights, Jermail Charlo. But let's talk about the good that we saw from Tim Tzu against Brian Mendoza. First off, Brian Mendoza, a very gang, very strong, very powerful, and very competitive fighter, again, who had a great Knockout of the year against Sebastian Fundora, the towering inferno, that six foot six, oh, it's a six, 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 seven, something like that. Some behemoth of a man looks like a stick figure, but fights on the inside and had great cachet behind him. Next thing you know, Brian Mendoza comes in, knocks him out in knockout of the year fashion at least contending for knockout of the year fashion, and earns this shot. Brian Mendoza is an underdog who's got really good hands, really deceptively heavy hands, great mover, tough chin, just tough all around, and Tim Tazoo really did a good job in fighting. Show great power and combination punching when he did throw his hands to Tim Tazoo. Had great hands, something I didn't realize up until this fight. Of course, we know before this fight, we saw Tim Tazoo knock out, I, I forget the brother's name, but he had a previous, before this fight, knocked out a brother in one round in absolute dominant fashion, just did away with him, but had great hand speed. Defense got better from Tim Tazoo, which is something I had a little bit of concern about with him as a fighter. I'm not saying it was bad, but it wasn't up to the standard that I would like to see from somebody who was deemed to be a competitor for a championship, especially in line to be potentially undisputed champion down the road. And in this fight, he showed a lot better defense. It's not elite, don't get me wrong. There's still some holes to it, but it is better than what I've seen from Tim Tazoo in the past. He also had great Patience was able to cut off the ring consistently as Brian Mendoza was moving around, trying to keep up, keep Tim Tazoo off balance, trying to keep him off center, never staying in the same spot. He was able to track him down and was able to slowly but surely utilize his overwhelming pressure and not even with needing to throw, just the threat of, hey, I'm still here. You're not landing effectively, and I am able to come forward, and I'm going to land my shot. That overarching feeling that Tim Tzu had when he was stalking Brian Mendoza and cutting off the ring to corner him was enough to get him in positions necessary to actually unload. Again, the pressure of Tim Tzu is real. It's something I never really realized from him up until this fight because this was the epitome of I don't need a throw to make you scared of me. And on top of that, the buddy didn't fall for Frank's along with his defense getting better, he wasn't falling for the feints of Brian Mendoza. A lot of the posturing, the, the rubbernecking, a lot of the stuff that Mendoza was trying to do to get Tim Tazoo to either overreach or lull into a trap, Tim Tazoo didn't fall for. Again, showed a lot of great improvements, great skill, and legitimate talent, or even more talent than we already know that he has at his disposal. I love this fight for Tim to do the Problem is, the thing I hated about this fight was he was too conservative. One of the biggest things that I liked about this fight was his patience. But that's also a detriment when you don't throw at all. The I had the I had Mendoza winning this fight four rounds to zero off of just the sheer volume that Mendoza was throwing. In contrast to the outright not throwing nature that Tim Tazoo was doing 
in the ring. Now, again, he said in, by round four, he would actually start working. But even with him starting to work, quote unquote, he wasn't working a lot in terms of volume. Yes, he landed 40% of his power shots like he normally does throughout his career, especially once he reached his zenith or at least once he reached the peak of his prime. Yeah, we know that's a that's a consistent thing for him. He is an accurate power punch. He doesn't throw a lot. He is a very judicial fighter. He doesn't waste energy, which I love. But that doesn't mean that you don't need to be, that you can be, that you can't be over conservative to the point that you can potentially start losing rounds and put yourself in a hole that you don't need to be in. There were many times where Tim Dezu had Mendoza on the ropes and could have utilized his jab to just score and continue to set up stuff and further understand where Mendoza was going and what his tendencies were as he was bouncing around the ring in order to further put him in a harder position to where he couldn't escape from. But he didn't. He just continually stalked. Even when he had Mendoza dead to rights with an uppercut, body shot, or just a straight hook, he didn't throw it. Even when, again, everything was showing green for him to go on with an attack, he still didn't do it. He was looking for a picture-perfect punch to get Mendoza hurt. Now, granted, he did do it. He had him hurt, I believe, in the 7th and in the 10th round, if I have my rounds right correctly. And he had him hurt bad. And when he had him hurt bad, okay, now we actually opened up. Now we actually did some work. Now we started to do some damage. Now we got to see that hand speed, that really deceptively quick hand speed, and that heavy-handed power of Tim to come to full effect. Really stunning and moving, rattling Mendoza around the ring in a fashion I had never seen before from Mendoza because Mendoza, again, has never been down and has never been knocked out in his career, if I have my notes correctly. So since that's the case, for Tim Tzu to have him, him for Tim Tzu to have him, the way that he had him when he was hurt late in the fight, if he had opened up earlier on and was willing to throw a lot more, okay, yeah, he probably could have had him out of there or at least had him down potentially. If he had had more volume, and I get it, Mendoza's a, a powerful fighter, a strong fighter. You don't want to get caught by anything, especially if you don't see it from him. So I understand the caution, but also don't like don't I don't like it when fighters put caution ahead of legitimate work. And Mendoza could have gotten legitimate work done on him by Tim Tzu, because Tim Tzu did everything right, stopped, had great defense, was able to corner him. Consistently had him on the ropes and was poignantly able to attack. Or rather, had a poignant time that he could have attacked or at least thrown something to, like a jab just to keep Mendoza honest and keep landing points so that the rounds weren't so one-sided earlier on in the fight by the lack of volume by Tim Tzu. That he wouldn't have to worry about, okay, now from rounds four and on, I have to make sure I get him hurt in order to make this fight further in my favor. It worked out for him, but I don't like that type of mindset. When you're too conservative, especially when you have real power and real physical advantages, well, technical advantages, over your opponent, and you don't utilize it in the way that you need to, in the time that you need to, overly cautious, I don't like that in a fighter. Hopefully we see that change. He wasn't attacking first, and again, this fight could have gotten away from Tim Tzu. It really could have. It really, let's say he didn't hurt Mendoza. And Mendoza was still able to do what he was doing for the first four rounds for the rest of the fight. Without the fear, okay, well, not fear of getting caught, because again, Tim Tzu can carry power all 12 rounds. But if he continued to be so conservative in throwing, and Mendoza was throwing in the volume that he was throwing. Though Mendoza himself doesn't throw a lot. In this fight, he was throwing, it looked like he was throwing substantially more. And landing, because he at least had volume to actually get some stuff through early on in the fight. If Tim Tzu never actually hurt Mendoza, we potentially might have seen this fight go, go a different way. Potentially. At least from what I saw. But Tim Tzu did it, was methodical, patient, had him hurt, got, did what he needed done, done, didn't get him out of there but still wanted to fight. It showed a lot of promise to him. Rather, it showed a lot of acceleration in his development as a fighter. Even though he's currently a champion right now, still you can develop and get better. And Tim Tzu showed that he did just that. 
Now going up against Charlo, what are his chances against Charlo after this fight? Now I say his chances are pretty good. Especially after what we saw against Canelo Alvarez from Jamel Charlo. And with Charlo moving down in weight, we have to say, right now the advantage for who would win that fight for undisputed a super welterweight would be Tim Dezoo, in my estimation. This ain't no hate. This ain't no one side or the other. This is objectively. What we saw from Tim Tzu, if Tim Tzu is not as conservative as we saw in this fight, as he, if he fights in, against Canelo, or excuse me, if he fights against Charlo, when they fight for undisputed, if that fight does in fact happen, because we know boxing, but if that fight does happen and Tim Tzu is not conservative and is not too cautious in throwing punches, yes, I can absolutely see him winning. I can absolutely see him beating Charlo. I can see him knocking out Charlo. We're being perfectly honest. If he utilizes more volume, and specifically utilizes his jab, which is a very good jab. He just needs to throw more of it. Routinely, he never throws jabs to set up his offense. But if he does against Charlo, it opens up a whole new can of worms for what he can do inside of the ring. Not saying it's guaranteed, but I'm saying right now, that's... You have to favor him. You have to. And he's been active more out in the year than Charlo. And even with Charlo fighting relatively recently against Canelo, he didn't really fight. He just defended. You could still, you could still argue that the ring rust is still there because he didn't throw it in. He didn't look like any Charlo that we were accustomed to. He looked like a bum in the ring against Canelo. He, and if this is what he brings to Tim Tazoo, like I said, when I talked about Charlo versus Canelo and how that fight played out, yeah, it's going to be a knockout. I can definitely see it being a knockout. I can also see it being very competitive if we see the Charlo of old. But will we see that Charlo ever again? Who knows, especially after this fight. Especially after that fight with Canelo. Good gosh, who knows? Who knows what we're going to see from that brother again? But I do know that I have tempted to do favor. And if I was going to pick it, I'd pick it by knockout. But we'll break down that fight once it actually is announced. And at a later point in time, down the road. But we also have to talk about, for the next segment of this show, Jadabek Ali Muhammad. It's actually going to be the final segment of the show. I am high on this brother. Janibek Ali Muhammad beat Vincenzo Gutierrez to gain the, the unified middleweight title in a very, very great showing for him. Now WBO and IBF champion took the belt from Tim Tizu, or took the belt from Tim Tizu. He was already WBO champion, if I have it correctly. Gutierrez was the IBF champion. And Gutierrez never been down, never been knocked out, was a mover, Slick. It was it is can be hard to hit. Some people say they were surprised that he was champion, but he did have legitimate talent to him. And Janibek just walked through him. I love the way Janibek fights. Love the way Janibek fights. Got him out of there in six rounds. Wobbled him multiple times with uppercuts through the guard. This butt is patient. This butt is poised. Rangy has a great jab, great distance control, doesn't give up ground, only backs up when he's trying to step out of the way of punches, not even leaning back like we saw from, from Jared Anderson. And I hate that type of defense from him. But I'm talking about stepping back, hopping back, and then hopping back in the range to, to get safe and then but continue your attack. But outside of that, never gave up ground, never backed up, always within his sweet spot. We could fully extend his punches. A piston-like jab that would get through the guard and disrupt the rhythm of Gutierrez. Great power, great combination punching, great speed. Sharpness in, in everything that he threw. This man's the real deal. He takes after Triple G. He takes after Gennady Golovkin. Really, he does. He takes after Gennady Golovkin in some aspects of his fighting style. The way he throws shots, 
the way that jab breaks through the guard, the way that he carries himself to some degree when he's in the ring, always looking to kill, he's the real deal. This man is, in fact, the real deal. He was able to track Gutierrez' head movement and consistently land with that jab. Never overcommitted on shots. Always great at, or always ready to attack, but never jumping the gun. But when it was time to actually get, get him out of there, he got him out of there. He had him wobbled a couple times, but didn't overcommit. Would continue the attack in, at a steady rate. But once he got him really hurt, that's when he turned on the Jets. That's when he really let his hands go. That's when he actively went in for the kill. And he did it in sublime fashion. Sublime fashion. This man's got real power. He's got real intellect. He's got a real dominating presence about him that you can't really phase him. I'm hollering this brother. I really am. If you haven't heard of Jennebeck Ali Muhammad, keep your eyes out because this may be the best middleweight in the world right now. It really could be. What are, who are his comparisons that say that this is actually the case? Jamal Charlo, current WBC champion. Arislandi Laura, WBA champion, 40-year-old champ. Again, credit to him, still going strong. Chris Eubank Jr., Liam Smith, Triple G, who again right now, after the Canelo fight, he took a step away from the sport indefinitely. His words hasn't stepped in the ring yet. We don't know if he's going to retire or he's just recovering to make a comeback until we get that confirmation and until something happens. His, his name is in the pot, but it could be taken out very quickly. But in terms of top middleweights, those are his greatest pool of confidence that we had to compare him to. Triple G, I think at this stage in his career, we could say that we could say that Janet Beck is better. Respectfully. Chris Eubank Jr., who just had his greatest performance of his career in terms of putting everything together against Liam Smith, knocking out Liam Smith. Phenomenal. This looked like the butter that we've been waiting on Eubank to turn into for a long time. Getting getting away from that horrible Roy Jones Jr. style that, that is not horrible for Roy Jones Jr but does not work for Chris Eubank Jr. At all. At all. Getting away from that and getting this fight style that actually fits him made him look sublime. Made him look like a real championship contender. Made him look like a real threat for a title. But with that being said, I don't know if he's better than Janibet. I don't know if he's better than Janibet. Arislani Laura, Laura, WBA champ. I think Janet Beck's better. And then Jamal Charlo, probably the biggest name outside of Triple G and Chris Eubank Jr. The third or second most well-known name in the division. He, for as great as he is, I believe he's undefeated, 32-0. With as great as he is, respectfully, I might think that Janibek might be better. Just might. No, this isn't me letting the abysmal performance of Jamel Charlo cloud my judgment of Jamal Charlo. But it's, man, with how this brother looked, how complete and comfortable and just controlling that Janibek was in the ring, heard this name multiple times. But seeing him again in action made me, yeah, from a talent perspective, he might be the best in the division. He might be the best in the division. And he could very well be the man to unify the division. He could be the, he could be the man to, to make this undisputed. And then moving up, if he does go up to super middleweight and fights Canelo, that would be interesting. I'm not saying he's going to win. That would be a very interesting fight. And then hypothetically, we could see this man beat him and then go up again to light heavyweight. Take on the likes of Bevo and Better BF. 
We're talking about one man that can give a bunch of people some real trouble. Because he's got the build of somebody that can move up and be comfortable. He's got the range to be able to work in any weight class comfortably. Physical capabilities. He's got the frame to move up and compete. Skill-wise, right now, he's got the frame to move up and compete. Not saying he's going to win. I'm saying to be competitive. And if he does make the middleweight division one belt holder, with him being the cream of the crop, the king of the mountain at middleweight, very interested to see what this brother can do as he goes, and if he goes, moving up to super middleweight and trying to get all those belts against the Canillos and Benavidez's and Caleb Plants of the world. And then if he if everything bodes true and well for him, and then he moves up again, fighting the Bevos and Better Bevs would again be a very interesting and entertaining matchup down the line. I'm not trying to put anything in stone right now. I'm saying the potential of this man is very high in terms of where he can compete. Not saying he can win and just beat everybody. But I'm saying from a from a talent standpoint and a frame standpoint and physical gifts, he's got all the tools to give a lot of people a run for their money. As he progresses and if he overcomes challenges and becomes undisputed. But only time will tell. But with that being the case, you're going to be able to find and track all the stories and all of the timeline of this sport of Janibek's career and more right here on the Neutral Corner. And with that being said, this has been another episode of the Neutral Corner with me, your host, Jean-Luc Welch, on this ESPN podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening to this show. Again, rate this show five-star on Spotify, Apple Music. Give us the, the clout needed to make this show the number one boxing show in all the globe that's right help us make this show a national thing oh yes get guests get money get all that stuff all for the betterment of this sport and put some money in my pocket be perfectly honest but with all that being said i love doing this for you all hopefully you all enjoy listening to the show we will be back here next week to cover everything in the world of combat sports. Keep it locked. Everybody get back to your neutral corners up until the next fight, which will be the next edition of the Neutral Corner. Be safe. Be blessed. See you all next episode.